especially a Lord's Day for us as God's children. Uh, there were many who laid down their heads last night but did not see this most beautiful sunrise. Uh, they have gone to meet their maker. Uh, they have faced God in judgment. It is our hope, of course, that they were the children of God and therefore have an everlasting joy that they will experience. But unfortunately, as we see even the Bible teaches us, the majority of those were not such. And now they are in eternal torment. And so we have great uh, reason and cause to be thankful for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we also have great uh, cause to be thankful for because we have an opportunity here to learn more of God's will. And if we have not yet obeyed him, uh, that is what we indeed need to do as soon uh, as we see uh, that need, understand that need, and know what is required of us to fulfill that need. This morning I want to talk about a, a very popular subject, believe it or not, but it can be very unpopular if we look at it from a biblical standpoint. And of course that is the subject of prayer. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 16 and 17, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now as we consider these verses, of course, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean continually for 24 hours a day. Of course, that is an impossibility. Sooner or later we're going to need some sleep. But it does mean pray without ceasing in the sense there is no occasion, there is no event, there is no situation by which we are not to pray. Uh, we are to pray without ceasing. In other words, be constant and consistent in our prayers to God. Uh, and so that's what the idea is here, and that's what Paul is relating to this church, believe it or not, that had many persecutions come upon them, as you may remember in Acts chapter 16. Uh, even the house of Jason was assaulted. So this church needed to pray without ceasing. Now, generally speaking, prayer is popular. It's popular. I mean, we oftentimes hear people, and I know even those who do not share in our faith, will tell us, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. We tell others, we'll be praying for you. So prayer, generally speaking, is not unpopular, okay? We even find that in the Bible, in the Bible, prayer was popular even among those who were not the most righteous of people. In Matthew chapter 6, for example, in verses 5 through 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord would teach his disciples not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. But we are told to go into our closet, shut the door, and pray to our Heavenly Father in secret, who will reward us openly. So prayer, even among the hypocrites, was popular, of course, because of that reason. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9 tells us that prayer was popular, and I believe it is popular to a great degree now for self-justification. You have the uh, account of the Pharisee and the publican. And, of course, the Pharisee was praying to himself, uh, and he was saying that uh, he thanked God that he was not like other men like this publican. He twast, uh, fasted twice a week. He, he gave alms of all that he possessed, all these various things. So prayer was popular to him to justify himself and feel good about himself. But, of course, Jesus Christ would say it was the, the, uh, it was the publican who was hum uh, humbly submitting himself and depending upon God whose prayers were actually heard of God. And so prayer is by the most part or for the most part popular. Prayer among God's people is not always popular. 
And of course, we noted first uh, Thessalonians 5 and verse number 17. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, Paul would go on to tell the Philippians, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Prayer for the Christian. I present to you, if we look at it from a biblical standpoint, can be challenging sometimes. It may not be as popular as we want it to be. It may not be as easy as we think it ought to be. Now, of course, as we mature in the faith, the, 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 the avenue of prayer is more appreciated and the practice of prayer is more frequent and, of course, more consistent. But, but when we look at things, it is not easy oftentimes to pray. And I want us to, to just hold up for a moment. Don't, 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 don't stone me. But prayer can be difficult. As a matter of fact, sometimes we have to go beyond our own will, our own desires, and realize that it is God who is commanding us to pray and desires, uh, desires that we pray. And that's what we have to do. So, I want to talk about unpopular prayer. Unpopular prayer. Prayer that challenges us. Prayer that, that causes us to look deeply in and of ourselves to see if we are truly the prayerful people that we ought to be. And so as we look at fundamentals of faith, we want to look at a very foundational act of devotion and, and, and dependence upon God, and that is prayer. And especially when it is unpopular, unpopular or difficult, probably a better way to state that. The first thing I want to note is the prayer of forgiveness. Yes, the prayer of forgiveness can be very difficult. And by prayer of forgiveness, I mean of forgiveness. In other words, we are forgiving others. We are forgiving others. That can be difficult. Now, before you say, no, that's not difficult for me, Brother Al. I pray for people of, uh, for forgiveness all the time. That's just what type of person I am. I have no problem forgiving people. And it's just something we're careful Careful, okay? Uh, God, sometimes we can have a self-righteous piousness about us that, that we need to be careful about, okay? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be that way. I just relate back to us in Luke chapter 18 and verse number 9. Let us be careful about talking about what's so easy for us to do. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 44, it is my contention, my belief, that Jesus Christ tells us of the difficulty of this and, and makes sure that we understand, yes, it's required, but it can be difficult. And we'll explore this a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 43, notice, he says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Of course, he's relating those things that were in times past, but now he is showing forth his authority. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use and persecute you. Oh, Brother Harold, that's no problem with me. Careful. Careful. Now, it's something we should do, but let, let, let's, let's not fool ourselves. Okay? Careful. You see, the prayer of forgiveness encompasses when things are not favorable and people are not being favorable to us. Now, when we think about the example of our Lord, of course, He is the premier and foremost example. We look at places like Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, when our Lord was being crucified on the cross, 
On the cross, he states, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. As Jesus is saying that, they're gambling for his clothes. As the scripture said they would. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, of course, we know later after the gospel is revealed, we find people stating these things, but they, of course, would learn what they did. But now, as Jesus said that, where he is on the cross and uh, what, what situation is going on, look at the events that took place before he said this statement. In Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 65, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him, and when they had blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things, blasphemously rather, spake they against him. The Son of God, as the New Testament tells us, the Creator of heaven and earth, they are punching him, basically slapping him, mocking him. <laughs> Prophesy, who slapped you just then? We find in John 19, verses 1 through 3, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers. And by the way, just as a side note, remember Pilate claimed to have washed his hands of the situation? Notice what we find here. No, no. Pilate therefore took Jesus. Now we know even in Acts chapter 4, uh, the idea that Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate, the Jews or the people uh, and the Gentiles, everybody was responsible for the death of Jesus Christ uh, we, as we are. Of course, that's why we also, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so anyway, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. And said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. And again, that is the idea of slapping. A sign or an act of insult. Then did they spit in his face. And I don't know about you, but spitting to me, I believe even from a biblical standpoint, is the ultimate sign or act of disrespect and insult. Guys, we don't even spit on our own dog. I don't spit on I mean, Who spits on even their dog? So they were spitting on the creator, the son of God. Ultimate insult. And so they did spit in his face and buffet him and others smote him with the palms of their hands. Again, slapping him. Now, Jesus, after these things, said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do as he agonized in pain and suffering. Not for anything he had done. Not only any sin that he had transgressed against God, which he never did. But not doing anything wrong to them either. But doing only good to them. This is what they did to him. This is their response to the goodness that he's shown. Now, you may say within yourself, yes, we have Jesus as an example. And, and you know, if that was happening to me, I don't believe prayer would be difficult or unpopular, Brother Harold. I, I believe I'd be able to do that. I see the example of Jesus. Amen. Amen. But now what if they were doing that to your child? What if they were doing that to your wife? Could you forgive them then? You see, <laughs> let us not lose sight of that. Because, see, remember, God still did not respond in wrath, anger, and vengeance. Because understand, vengeance is his. 
And could he have? <laughs> Jesus even tells us that. You know, I could call to my father and, and 12 legions of angels would be co come down right now. And we see what one angel can do. But he didn't do that. And even with the events that have transpired since, since this, God is still long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Our God, who we were his enemies before we received the grace of God and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, still wanted us to be reconciled to him. How many of us want our enemies to live with us forever and would do anything? Even the offering of his only begotten son for that to take place. So, so, so just be careful now. Yeah, I, I may take some things myself. But now <laughs> you can say some things to me. And you can do some things. But I tell you what, you better lay off my wife, man. See, that, that's the way. We, but, but, but again, we have to look at the love of God. The prayer of forgiveness. What about Stephen? He said the same thing as he was being stoned for just telling the truth. What about the Apostle Paul? Now, we know how Paul was. You remember the event with John Mark? <laughs> John Mark had went back to Jerusalem. Paul said he departed from the work. Did not want to have John Mark with him anymore. But now we know later, he said John Mark was profitable to him for the ministry. But now notice, even Paul said, they all have forsaken me. Lay this not to their charge. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16. You see, the prayer of forgiveness requires great faith. And that's what we're talking about. It is difficult and it can be unpopular. For example, in Luke 17 verses 1 through 5, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him, by the way, the word offenses, a stumbling block is another way that that word is translated. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. It is my understanding, my estimation, that the little ones are talking about the innocent in faith. Okay, the innocent of faith. Not necessarily a child. I believe Jesus Christ is using a child as an example here. But the innocent, the sincere, the pure at heart is what he's referring to. So, yes, offenses, stumbling blocks are going to come into this world. But Jesus gives one of the greatest condemnations we hear from him in a verbal standpoint during his earthly ministry. It'd be better that a huge, massive stone were tied around his neck and he cast in the sea. Drowning is not a good way to go. But notice the severity of the words of our Lord for those who are stumbling blocks. That it should be, a, that he should offend one of these little ones. Now watch what he says. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespassed against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, and, uh, in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again unto thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, Jesus, in the context of talking about offenses, now brings up the idea when somebody trespasses against you. Will you forgive him? Are you able to forgive him? And Jesus challenges, I don't care if it's 49 times in a day. If he repent, you are to forgive him. And the apostles, oh, oh, sure, Lord. Yeah, oh, no problem. No, that's not their response. What is their response? And the apostles said unto him, now notice the apostles said this unto him. Lord, increase our faith. Whoa. It takes great faith to exercise and carry out the prayer of forgiveness. So do not let us fool ourselves into thinking that this is something easy. As a matter of fact, I believe you've got to pray to pray to forgive. You need people praying for you for this prayer. I'm not somebody looked at you wrong. Oh, I forgive you. 
I'm talking about what we find here. The prayer of forgiveness is difficult. But what about the prayer for forgiveness? The prayer for forgiveness. You see, the prayer for forgiveness demands some things of us. It demands full honesty. You see, when we are not truly honest, the prayer for forgiveness is tainted. It becomes even more difficult when you're not being honest. Have you ever seen somebody ask for prayer or forgiveness, perhaps from a congregational public, a public standpoint, and they're not really being honest? They're doing everything they can not to really be honest. If I've done anything wrong to anybody, I ask for your forgiveness. That's not honest. That's not getting down in the deep parts of your soul and saying what you did. Oh, uh, look, uh, I, 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 I didn't mean to do this. And, and let me tell you why I did it. You know, I didn't know no better. Or, or I, was, I was caught up in it. I, you know, whatever the case may be. So, y'all, that's not honest. Notice honest prayer. Look at Psalm chapter 51 and verses 1 through 5. You see, the prayer for forgiveness demands honesty. It demands it. It cannot go without it. It will never be what it needs to be if we not, are not truly honest in our repentance. In Psalms 51, Psalms 51, beginning in verses 1 through 5, and I hope you do know the background. This is the psalm in which David would uh, state to God, recorded for us, for our benefit, for our learning, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. See, David was honest. David, again, sought the Lord's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, I believe because of the offense that David had committed, even stated by Nathan, great offense was known in Israel. They had become uh, uh, a stumbling block, I guess. Many things where people were saying against Israel because of this event. In Psalms 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clean when thou art judged. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in my inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And he just goes on to talk about that is a honest, sincere outpouring. And you may say, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, but David was doing that before. God, I mean, he wasn't necessarily, understand, the sin and the impact of that sin was known all throughout Israel and even by other nations. What David had done, killed one of his mighty men because he took his, uh, his wife, had already been known and was already known. And yes, David is speaking these things to God, but please know, I believe wholeheartedly when David was writing these things by inspiration, David knew that these things would be set forth and known from Israel and all those who would be later known by God that this son that he is writing will be known by everybody. See, the prayer for forgiveness means that you've got to come clean, you've got to come deep with it. And if anybody's ever experienced that, boy, can that be difficult to be that honest about what you've done. 
I may I even present to you when it's just you and God and you're asking for forgiveness. Say what you did. Say what you thought. And see how difficult that can be even before a forgiving God. Because the shame of that, it's just not easy. Now I know we say, well, (laughs) aren't you thankful we can't read each other's thoughts? I'm serious. What kind of unity and congruity will the congregation have if you can read each other's minds? But now that which is in the mind that maybe no man will ever know. Tell that to God. And you see that it's unpopular or difficult. It demands culpability. Full culpability. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel was a prophet of God. Daniel was a faithful man. We are aware of the story of Daniel and the great difficulties Daniel uh, uh, overcame. And, and he is shown to us as one who was a man of faith, a man of commitment and dedication to God. But notice the idea of full culpability. Full culpability. In Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse number 14, Daniel was faithful. Israel was in captivity there in Babylonian captivity because they had not been. And even as these events were taking place, note the attitude of Daniel in this. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. Daniel's faithful. And when we look at the events that are taking place, we probably wouldn't include Daniel in, in those things. And, and again, the judgment of God coming upon them. But notice Daniel's attitude has come upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, Lord our God, that has uh, brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten the renown uh, as the day we have sinned. We have done wicked. Wait a minute, Daniel. I've read the, uh, the inspired account about you. You're not the one. That was that. No, 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 no. And notice how Daniel accepts God as our God. Our God. And see, sometimes we have to be careful about accepting God as our God, but they're the one trans, uh, uh, transgressing. Their... Daniel has full culpability here. You know, when you look at certain situations in life, I think sometimes, even we as gospel preachers, Brian, sometimes we can put the blame everywhere else without looking inward at us. Maybe maybe we should have preached more about this. Maybe we should have had more personal Bible studies with people about that. Maybe maybe, maybe we should have been more courageous and not kind of skipped around things a little bit and just spoke generalities. Maybe we need to be more specific. Now, I'm not saying we take upon the sins of other men. We all give account for our own sins. But now, are we accepting our culpability, whatever that may be, to the extent that we can and should regarding that? See, it always amazes me when I talk to people in the congregation, they're always telling me what they're doing. Well, you know, they're doing it. Wait a minute, aren't you remember that? Well, yeah, but I don't. <laughs> Excuse me? See, the prayer for forgiveness demands full culpability and that's not easy what about the prayer for patience 
How many of us believe we ought to pray for patience? How many of us believe that patience is something we have to possess, something we have to have to get to heaven? I, would, I think all of us would agree to, yes, I have to have patience. But you know, the game patience now, that's not something that uh, many times we're willing to endure to have it. You see, patience demands a process. Patience comes through a process. As a matter of fact, uh, Erdman in his uh, Bible dictionary describes patience or defines patience as this. God giving restraint in the face of opposition or oppression. Faith doesn't, I mean, uh, patience doesn't come easy. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 36, the Hebrew writer would state this, But call to remembrance the former days, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had a compassion of me and my bonds, the Hebrew writer's talking about himself, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have in heaven a better and a enduring substance. Now watch this though. Cast away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And that's going to be with the afflictions and difficulties that the Hebrew writer is talking about. Patience doesn't come without cost. James tells us in 1 James, uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials or diverse temptations, the King James, uh, King James Version says, but the idea is diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Lord, give me patience. You better be ready to receive the adversity that's going to get you that patience. And it's not going to be easy. Oh, just a little skirmish here and there. No, we're talking about the patience that the Bible talks about. It's going to be adversity that's going to test you, that's going to challenge you, that's going to make you dig deep. But now, when you count it all joy, that patience will be acquired. But now, if you don't, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I'm not going to let this happen to me anymore. Uh-uh. You ain't going to do that. Do you? You're not going to get patience that way. As a matter of fact, you're going to get more anger and vengeance. See, patience is counting the joy, receiving it as it's of God, this adversity, for patience, the end result. And you've got to have let, you gotta let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and entire, like in nothing. Guys, is that popular? Is that popular? Normally our prayer is, Lord, help me not to go through this. Help to remove this from me. Help to stop this from happening to me. Instead of, Lord, let me gain patience through this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, in talking about the Israelites and their wandering in the wilderness, talked about the great trials that they had to endure. Of course, they tested the Lord, as we see. But notice in verse number 13, uh, There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted 
above that you are able. Oftentimes we stop there with a temple who will not suffer you to be tempted. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Above that you're able. Well, the Lord knows I can't take that, so he ain't going to never let that happen to me. That's why people tra uh, translate and understand this verse. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, one of the, 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 the ultimate things or challenges would be to me if somebody were to do something to my family and my wife. And my wife, or I just, you know, I, I'm an ex-police officer for those who know, so you have that criminal uh, justice or law enforcement mentality and perspective on things sometimes. And so when you see some of the horrific things that people have done to, to other people and to other men's wives as they have kidnapped them and done all... Guys, that's probably one of the things that I would just, I would need prayers of brethren. Boy, would I need those prayers. Because I wouldn't want to find out who did it. I would be challenged. And I would need to remember that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I admit it. I'm acknowledging that. Uh, hopefully, again, through study and, and, and meditation, I would realize that I can't seek vengeance. And if something were to happen to her life, I would have to know that I'd never see her again if I carried out that vengeance. I'm taking a, I'm taking a chance on that anyway. Hopefully I've repented that. So you see what I'm saying. So am I to say, well, Count, that's the ultimate thing with me. So, oh, don't you worry about security. I don't lock the doors. God ain't going to never let that happen to me. He knows, how, he knows how I couldn't take that. No, that's not what he means. And know what the next, verse is, uh, next part of the verse is. But will with the temptation also, there it is, he's not going to stop the temptation, but will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And notice, not a way to avoid it, not a way for it not to happen, but to literally, the idea of escape means to overcome it, that you may be able to bear it, endure it, is the idea. You see, the prayer for patience that's an unpopular prayer when we look, uh, look at it from a biblical standpoint. It's difficult. It's hard. You know, Abraham is a prime example. Abraham understood as he waited for God's promise patiently. Patiently. Remember, Abraham was, and he and Sarah were past age as far as having this son of promise as we looked at yesterday. But Abraham endured. He waited patiently. As the Hebrew writer says, as Moses says, as Paul says in Romans 4, verses 16 through 22. What about Job and the prophets? Uh, in James chapter 5, verses 9 through uh, 11, Job is brought up. As an example of the patience of God, Job's patience toward God, Job's endurance and faith toward the temptations and trials, the adversity he's had. If you haven't read the book of Job, you need to. You should. You must. You must read all the Bible. But the prophets, Jesus even brings up the prophets in Matthew chapter 24 as to what they had to endure at the hands of God's people. Understand, the prophets, yes, they were rejected by those outside of God's people, but more than not, the prophets were rejected by God's people, the pe people whom God sent to help them. There's the prayer of faith. In James chapter 5 and verse 15, uh, 14 through 15, James, uh, James says this, Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him and anointing him with oil uh, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith. Now, some version says the prayer of faith. 
But I like the New American Standard Version here. It says the prayer or offer rather in faith will restore uh, the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, they will be forgiven him. Now, of course, if you've studied these passages of Scripture, if you've ever had them in the Bible, there's a lot of ideas about what this means. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm just simply going to emphasize the prayer in faith. You see, the prayer of faith demands that one be faithful. And see, when we're able to pray in faith, that means that we are faithful to the Lord. Well, what's difficult about that? The faith has to be in every single aspect of our lives. You see, the, fear of, uh, the prayer of faith is also the prayer of trust. It's the prayer of trust. Remember, Abraham trusted God. Rahab trusted God. And they acted upon their faith. Their faith was accompanied by works of faith. In other words, it's not just a belief they had, but the works they did that accompanied that belief. Our faith cannot remain dormant. It must be carried out. It must be done. It must be uh, fulfilled if we're going to have the prayer in faith. You can't just believe a thing and not act upon that belief. And we know that what people believe or what people do is what they believe. They can say anything. But what they do is really truly what they believe. And so we have to be doing what God commands us to do. You see, it's only, only offered and can be offered in God's will. In 1 Timothy 2, what is God's will? That all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And of course, he gives commandments to those who are able to do that. For example, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. What does that mean for me as a man? That means I better be a faithful man in every capacity that God has given me to be faithful. If I'm going to offer up prayers, if I'm going to be a man, I'm going to be a leader in, in this particular congregation. That's what I believe the context is. That I have to offer up prayer to all those in authority. With that wrath, without doubting. In other words, instead of this, it has to be this. A dependence, a, a showing of dependence upon God. And I don't believe the emotions or the attitudes are literal, but it's a mentality here without doubting. Oh, I don't know. You know, James says that he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let, that, uh, let not that man think he's going to receive anything of God. You have to pray with confidence, and the only way that you do that is to pray within God's will. So if I'm a man and I'm praying, that means I have to be the man that God requires that I be. I have to be faithful in every single aspect of my life. I have to be a faithful man. I have to be a faithful brother. I have to be a faithful husband. I have to be a faithful father. I have to be a faithful employee or employer if I'm going to be able to offer up the prayer of faith or in faith. I have to do all that God requires that I do. Jesus did all. That was required him. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 42. I have. Of course Jesus says uh, previously I have a baptism with I was to be baptized with. But here. Nevertheless not my will be done. But thine will be done. You see that means it's not about what I want. It's about what I need. See and if it's about what I need. It's going to be about what God wills for me. 
It's not, it's, it's not about what I will. It's, it's about what he wills. See, that's why Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Romans 12 and verse number 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, we're going to exercise or carry out the prayer of faith or the prayer in faith we have to be faithful and that's where the difficulty comes in that's where the difficulty comes in because we understand that we oftentimes are challenged challenged to do all that God commands us to do sometimes we have ourselves and we'll talk about this in a little bit in our next lesson but we have ourselves in the way it's what I want it's what I desire instead of what God wants can't pray that way and of course we could talk about women who have to you know Paul goes on to say likewise that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness okay uh, <laughs> of course this is all by those who profess godliness okay uh, so many there you know Paul says that I do not permit a woman to teach on his usurp authority over the man, but to learn in silence. Why? Well, the man wasn't deceived, but it was the woman who was deceived and fell in transgression. Therefore, she shall be saved in childbearing. I believe the idea there is child rearing. Of course, Paul would say later in 1 Timothy uh, uh, chapter uh, uh, 2, but later in chapter 5, also just many other verses that women, uh, Titus chapter 2, for example, women ought to be chaste keepers at home. But see, we live in a society that says, no, no, you, yeah, that limits you. You can't fully, fully carry out your great uh, potential and so on and so forth. And so women have taken a place, and I'm sorry, we as husbands let it happen. The home is not where they are workers. No, uh-uh, not me. Now, you ain't going to tell me what to do. Well, see, we're going to give account for that one day. And I know sometimes we, and I do several lessons on this, and yes, it's normally a difficult subject, and yes, it's not readily received with great popularity, but the idea is God has established the home the way God has established the home. And even though our roles are equally as important, they are not the same. Show me, show me biblically, and before you go to Proverbs 31, now I'll go there with you, but we're going to have to discuss it within this context. We're going to have to look at it the way God has revealed it when you go there with me now, because that's normally where people go. Where, who is to be the one who is the provider? We go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2. Who was the provider? We see all throughout the Bible who was the provider. What does Ephesians 5 say? Who is to be the one that provides? Where in the Bible do we find that women, wives, mothers are to be the providers for the home. Where do we find that? Who said it? Where does it come from? And by the way, chase keepers at home means chase keepers at home. See, we believe that what Paul was saying is talking about management. Management. If I can manage it, it can be done. See, well, our, our sisters, they are, they are managers of time. I, tell, I, I, I am amazed at what wives and mothers accomplish in the course of a day. Amazed at it. 
But we believe it's a matter of time management. If I can get it all in, I can get it all in, it's okay. Well, where does Paul say that's the problem? That may be a part or component of it, but what was the reason Paul said this was to happen? May I present to you the reason was not a matter of time management so that the word of God be not blasphemed. That was the reason. Ah, uh, y'all can look at me like that all you want to. The word of God be not blasphemed. So who are we to decide how that word is going to be blasphemed or not be blasphemed? God gives us the command by which that's not to happen. Who are we to do it a different way? And I realize that there may be individual circumstances that, that may cause for women working outside of the home. And, 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 and I, I, I get that, but I hope that your individual circumstance is the one that warrants that. So, when we say, Lord, are we doing what God says? Because when we say, Lord, and we're not doing what God says, I got news for us before we start pointing the fingers to denominational people. You can't pray to God. God ain't hearing your prayers. You better be careful. This is unpopular. Because we have what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. See, demands... It, it demands righteousness, uh, righteousness and submission to God. Uh, almost finished. In Proverbs 28, verse 7 through 11. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. He that be usury and unjust gain increaseth the substance. He shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. He that turneth, uh, turneth away his ear from the hearing of the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. Now remember, remember what Jesus Christ said about being an offense. Setting forth an example that is contrary to God. You see, we teach in both word and, uh, and in deed. We teach what we say. We teach what we do. And a lot of times we only go by what we say, but not realizing what we do. We are teaching others. We are teaching others by what we do. Hopefully what we're teaching them by what we do is according to God's will. And if it's not, we're going to answer for that. But the upright shall have gone uh, uh, good things in his possession. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. And so, the prayer of faith is the prayer of the faithful. One last uh, verse, a series of verses here. In 1 Peter 3, verses 12 through 14. Remember when Peter said, For the eyes of the Lord over the righteous, and his ears open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against all them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be uh, followers of that which is good. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Powerful verses. And again, I believe this is in the context of persecution. But you know, what Peter's doing is quoting a psalm. Actually, in Psalms 34, verses 12 through 16, What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good 
Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. You see that psalm gives us a little more to to bite on to. That the evil of the wicked may be cut off from the earth. And so prayer is popular. But I present to you, if we look at the word of God, we can see, hopefully it won't be unpopular. But I do hope we can see it's difficult if we really look. And of course, there are other things we could have noted, could have noted about that. But is prayer unpopular to me? And that's something I need to really look deep into, challenge myself, and make sure that I'm doing what God says the way he says to it.